Good morning, everybody.
right, good morning, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. I got to show you my chair. I got this about a month or two ago, a couple months ago. I don't know if you could see it. See, you got the, uh, I can put these, the armrests up when I'm playing guitar and bring them back down. Isn't that cool? I think that's a cool, I like that. So, we're uh, continuing our study of, of Ephesians and, uh, Busy day today. I got uh, after I finish this broadcast, I got to go to uh, a place here in Huntsville as a, a, a young guy I met, and uh, he's uh, I met him in a coffee shop down the street here, and uh, he was he's I could tell he was a musician. He, he had you know he, he was like he's like twenty late twenties or something. I don't know, and he works for a nonprofit, and uh, but he's also a, a producer, a musician. He sings, guitar, writes his own stuff, plays guitar, and. He produces stuff, and he's he's had some connections with people in Nashville and stuff, and so uh, he we started, struck up a conversation. I kind of broke into this conversation with his girlfriend because he was talking about John Lennon and uh, his uh, Epiphone used to play there, and so I was like, and he kind of looked like John Lennon circa 1969, 68, and he had the glasses and everything, and he's he's a tall guy, but um, so anyways, so we we stuck up a good started you know uh, talking music, and I, I showed him a song I, I just wrote with. Um, uh, after Kenny passed away, my brother Kenny passed away. I wrote a song for him, so most of you know, and I let him hear that. So he was. Uh, so then, you know, uh, we we talked some more, and uh, so he wants to uh, record my stuff, and uh, so um, we're going to uh, do a song today. I think that we're going to do is "Don't Grow Weary." I so I showed him my last collection of songs. All those songs I have on our, our website and on our YouTube page, they're just you know, and <laughs> I professionally recorded. We just had a mixing board and we just kind of like went for it, Titus and I, and then just get, try to get the best sound we could. And I think the last one we did in Iowa was the best, you know, as far as recording a live sound. But um, I want my stuff professionally recorded and I've been praying that, and, and being able to do with, with a band and a great producer. And so I've been praying that for like 30 years. <laughs> so maybe this is the answer to the prayer. I wouldn't be surprised. Guys, I've heard his stuff he's done and people, other people he's done, he's really good. So, and he's really excited about doing my stuff, which is half the battle, actually, you know. So that's that's good. So he, I showed him a little bit of some stuff, recording stuff I could do, and he was like, because a lot of you guys don't ever see me play lead guitar, like uh, Jimi Hendrix, Page, Jeff Beck, who passed away. Those are kind of my heroes growing up, Joe Satriani, Kenny, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. That's the kind of lead guitar playing I played, but you guys never see me really play that. You know, on acoustic, I'm not really doing that, but uh, so... He showed, I showed him some of that stuff. So I'm, I, so I got all, you know, it, it, I'm looking forward to doing it. He's, he's a really nice, really sweet guy, and I, I really like him. And uh, I wouldn't record he, two things. He's got to be something I like, enjoy, and then also he's got to be good. <laughs> so, uh, um, so I, we'll we'll see that. That's after this after I finish this broadcast, I'll I'll hop down his place and uh, and see what we can do. So I'm gonna do that. Like I said, don't grow weary. Song I did. So on that last collection of songs that we did, that's entitled Rejoice. That's on our website and on has a playlist on our YouTube page. So uh, we're uh, for those of you who might be new. Uh, we're just a few announcements. If those of you might be new to the ministry and like to do this from time to time, especially on a Saturday. Uh, my name is Bill Wedstrom. I'm a pastor ordained in 1998 from Grace Bible Church in Somerset, Massachusetts. Um, and uh, I left there and uh, for my church, first church plant in Iowa in 2001, in August of 2001, a month before 911. And then, uh, so I did a, first, a church plant there and we actually um, were in Norway, Iowa. 
And, uh, and then I left there in 2010 to start another church plant in Marion, Iowa, which is probably a half hour from Norway, Iowa, and uh, which is on the, on the edge of uh, Cedar Rapids. And I was there, I had a house church there for nine years. And, uh, and so we, um, from the beginning, we were not expository type ministry. That means we go through the different books of the Bible, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, book by book, alternate between Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, we uh, record all of our stuff, MP3, MP4 recordings, YouTube recordings. Uh, all of our recordings, MP3, MP4, and YouTube recordings are on our wenstrom.org page, which you can see the home address there. But we also, since uh, but since 2019, uh, July, August of 2019, we put all our MP3, MP4s on our Faith Life Sermons Logos website. So, um, so you can access that site through the, our homepage at wenstrom.org. There's a link to it. Uh, we also have podcasts at uh, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. All you have to do is search for us under Wenstrom Bible Ministries. We, we're over, we're, we're close to 3,000 podcasts I put up there. So I basically put all my, a lot of my recordings I've done over the years up there. So, um, and then we have a YouTube page. You can access that. Go Google me at Bill Wenstrom and you'll see the, my web uh, YouTube page. There's also, if you go to the bottom, very bottom of wenstrom.org, You'll see a little, it's a little uh, image, uh, YouTube and Facebook. So if you click on Facebook, you'll go to our Wednesday uh, Bible Ministries Facebook page. And then there's also the YouTube page there right beside it. And uh, so we'll also have an Academia EDU website, which is, if uh, you, go, you Google me, you'll see that. There's a website that I have over 700 of my written articles on that website. At Wednesday.org, I have all my written articles, everything I've ever done, exegesis, exposition, of the different books we've done over the last 25 years, and then, um, and also various subjects of Bible doctrine and broken out into various areas of theology, like a systematic theology, Greek word studies, different uh, characters in the Bible, uh, some history things, and uh, we have also, uh, I often fail to mention this, but we also have prep school stuff. A lot of people uh, use our prep school stuff that's on there as well. So we have a vast written library. It's over 1,700 written articles, just, you know, the exegesis exposition, the various doctrinal subjects and people in the Bible that I've, I've st we studied in the past. There's over 1,700 uh, PDF documents on that website. So we don't charge for our teaching, though we're, uh, we, uh, Galatians 6, 6 says, though, if you're, if you're, uh, those who taught the word of God are sharing good things with those who teach them. So, um, if you feel led by the Holy Spirit and you're benefiting from my teaching, the Holy Spirit's definitely convicting you to, to, to help us out uh, financially. You can, uh, you can help us out at, uh, by sending us a check at care of Winston Bible Ministries. Um, the address is on the board, 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue, Northeast, Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. O'Shaughnessy spelled without a capital S and, a, and a apostrophe between the O and the S, so it's O-S-H-A-U-G-H-N-E-S-S-Y. Uh, Avenue Northeast, Huntsville, Alabama, 35801 for those who are on the podcast. And uh, also, uh, to uh, uh, we also have, uh, I'm also the pastor of Doctrinal Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama. That's why I'm broadcasting in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, I accepted this uh, position back in May, and I've known about them for about six, seven years prior to this, accepting it, and uh, they've known me to a mutual friend of ours. And so uh, the pastor, Peak, who is the pastor there, I retired and I took over and it's a great group. And if you'd like to come and see us uh, or listen to, you can listen to the, the broadcast I have. We only, we're right now just doing the audio of the classes. 
And if you go to a onestrom.org page, they don't have a website yet. They have a website domain. We'll probably eventually do something with that. But uh, right now, um, if you go to onestrom.org, you'll see the link that's talking about. In fact, let me, let me see. Oh, we won't do it now. But uh, you'll, uh, if you go to onestrom.org, you'll see it, was, it says, you know, uh, listen to the recordings at uh, Hunts, uh, Doctrinal Bible Church, Huntsville, Alabama. And there's the link to the different series that we've done, like we did Jude the Trinity, canonicity we just finished off, and there's a link to each of those that goes right directly to our Faith Thy Sermons website. And and also, we're right now uh, doing Obadiah, and uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow. So our, our address there is 1215 Russell Street, Northeast Huntsville, Alabama. 1215 Russell Street, Northeast Huntsville, Alabama. The address is on the website. And uh, it's called Doctrinal Bible Church. So if you're in the area, come and visit us. We're, our class schedule for Doctrine Bible Church is uh, Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. at Central Time. And then Sunday mornings, we have uh, the first session starts at 9.30. Usually the second session starts around 10.45. We're usually out of there by noon at the latest. Um, and we have a break in between those two sessions that I teach. Tomorrow we're doing our business meeting in the, in the first session. So we won't, we'll only have one uh, really Bible study in the second session. Uh, Winston Bible Ministries, our class schedule is, is Saturday, Tuesday, and Thursday mornings at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. And so uh, glad to have you all with us. That's who we are. That's what we do. And uh, so we're going to, uh, we just started a new book uh, this past week on Tuesday, uh, Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians. And so uh, today we'll be continuing that introduction, which is very important with regards to interpreting this book accurately. And so today we'll be looking at who are the recipients of this letter, which is some, a bit of a, a, a debate among scholars and Bible teachers throughout the centuries as to really who's Paul writing to. Because there's some, uh, because a lot of the best, uh, I mentioned this in pre uh, previous classes, um, some of the best and oldest manuscripts that we have don't have the phrase and Epheso uh, in Ephesus in the, in, the, in the letters, in the copies of these manuscripts. The best and oldest don't have it. So that's quite interesting and significant, as we'll see. But uh, uh, no doubt, though, the Ephesian Christian community did get this epistle, but uh, it wasn't intended, as we'll see, for, for just them. It was intended for, I believe, those, uh, the, like those seven churches in Asia that John talks about in Revelation 2 and 3. I believe that's those were the, the main cities that he was sending to with this Ephesian epistle. So we'll talk about that. And uh, and so let's, without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, he, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for another day to study your word. We thank you for those who are serious students of the word of God. 
that are listening in or watching these class, watching the class live or through the recordings or listening to the podcast and, and those who are just interested, curious, searching, whoever they might be. I thank you for each and every one of them. I thank you for the technology, the people taking advantage of it. I pray it would function properly today. Pray there'd be no problems with the recordings, the video and the audio, and they upload these things to our various websites, podcasts, the media platforms that you've given to us. Um, I just thank you for Titus Thompson and his work with the website, who's faithfully been taking care of that for a long time for me now, and uh, his, who's, him and his family have been a big part of our ministry, so I just thank you for him and his family and Jody, his wife, and Cheyenne. I just pray, Father, that their child, I just pray, Father, for them, and you protect them from the evil one. And I also thank you for all the other people in my life and in, in in, that have supported this ministry when I was at Prairie View or uh, when I left uh, Prairie View and support this ministry into uh, the Iowa, Marion, Iowa, and Massachusetts, and, and now here in Huntsville. I just thank you for each and every one of them, and I thank you for the group you gave me over here in Huntsville, Doctrinal Bible Church, and I thank you for those who've been faithfully following this ministry and, uh, and uh, benefiting from the teaching, and I just thank you for them and those who are supporting this ministry with, uh, with their prayers and finance and, and attending of, of Bible classes. So, Father, I just pray, Father, today that you'd help me in this study to communicate this subject of, uh, the, uh, of the recipients, who identifying the recipients of the Ephesian epistle. As we continue our introduction, I pray you would use me mightily and help me communicate this particular point today with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power so that your people could understand this book better and uh, we could interpret it accurately. And as a result, your people would be able to... Uh, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. I also pray, Father, that you help them to learn in the audience, to understand what's being taught, make application, to concentrate, and please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. And I, Father, I pray, again, there'd be no problems with the recordings, the video, and the audio, and the upload of these things to our various website, podcasts, and media platforms that you've given to us. I thank you for them, and I pray you would use them mightily and protect them from the evil one. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, just a reminder uh, before we get underway, um, the, on the first Saturday of each month, we have uh, observed the Lord's Supper, the communion service. So the next Saturday, uh, we'll be uh, observing the, the Lord's Supper, uh, and uh, I, usually we do it at the end of the lesson, and sometimes we'll do it at the beginning of the lesson, depends. Uh, and then also in, at DBC, Doctor of Bible Church, we do it uh, the first Sunday of each month. So just wanted to get that, uh, communicate that to you. And uh, most of you who follow the ministry know what I'm, when that is, but uh, there's some people who are new that might not know that. And we always have new people popping in, uh, new subscribers uh, to the, hitting our website, Winston.org, or our YouTube page, or Winston.org, uh, the different podcasts that we have. There's people popping, Faith Life Sermon site. There's people being exposed to our ministry, new people all the time. So I just never know with the internet who's out there that's listening. So unless they contact me, so... And a lot of times, sometimes they do, and it's pretty cool when they do uh, email me or whatever. And uh, so anyways, we should be, you should be at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And as I said before, we're going to uh, continue our introduction to the Ephesian epistle. I do these introductions, as I've been pointing out in the previous classes. I always do an introduction to a book I'm studying, where I'm teaching in. And the introduction contains various points that are very important uh, for interpreting the book. Uh, in fact, uh, if my exegete, uh, this is my Logos Bible program, and um, you'll see that in the, this Logos Bible program is uh, I, they have a personal book feature, and I love that feature. I, I highly recommend Logos. So I can put all my written articles and put them up there on 
for myself so I can search my, my stuff or do stuff like this. So here's my uh, working on my exegesis and exposition to this Ephesian epistle. And uh, usually I, I usually uh, every, you know, every time I finish teaching a verse, I'll put in PDF format, you know, like the, ne the ne next, pretty, next, probably the next uh, PDF documents going up on the website as far as Ephesians will be the introduction. When I finish that, I'll put it up there on the website at uh, org and also um, academia.edu. And then when I finish Ephesians 1.1 or Ephesians 1.2, as I go, I, I'll put those uh, on our website and finish them. But this Logos Bible program, I get the whole, what I've done already, I'm actually uh, working on Ephesians 1.17. But if you look on the on the, um, the Logos Bible program on my screen, I'll blow it up for you. But you'll see, here's some of the things that we've, we're talking about in our introduction. We'll be talking about the canonicity, and then we'll be, we talked about that in the first hour. We talked about the authorship, the Pauline authorship uh, on Thursday. And then I had some things on Paul. But then today we'll be looking at the recipients. And we'll also be taking a look at uh, Ephesus, the Ephesians, and Ephesus itself. I got some pictures of Ephesus today in the ruins there. And uh, I think you might find that interesting. There'll be pictures that will be found in the, I'll be using for my, my document here. We'll also in this study, uh, in, on next two, uh, this coming Tuesday, we'll be studying the place of origin, the date, and the literary genre of this particular letter. Then we'll be doing, after that, uh, we'll be uh, noting the form and structure of this particular book and also the purpose and then the major themes of the Ephesian epistle. So that's what we'll be covering uh, in this particular um, series on, uh, on uh, the, the, this particular um, introduction to the Ephesian epistle. So, um, so I just want to hook this back up. So uh, those are the things we study. And so the introduction is important because it, these areas that I just pointed out uh, are important when we interpret a book, the literary genre, what is that? Who we, who's, who's the author? When was it written? Who was it being written to? What's the purpose of the letter? These are all very important, the candidacy, uh, so uh, it's very important, and uh, we noted that the canonicity, and uh, just quickly by way of review, the canonicity of Ephesians was never in question. It's been, it was accepted uh, in the uh, the early church right from the beginning, like pretty all of Paul's letters really were were accepted immediately right off right off the bat. Uh, we have uh, so it was never called into question that um, the canonicity of this particular book. We find Ephesians in the earliest lists. Athanasius mentions it. In his uh, festal letter in 367 A.D., approximately, it's in the Council of Carth Carthage. Recognized this is a Pauline book and was part of the canon of Scripture. And uh, when we talked about the authorship, there was a little bit, uh, you know, for, for oh, all the way into the 19th century, nobody in the church ever questioned the Pauline authorship. Paul puts his name on it, and uh, but in 19th century and modern criticism. Uh, they and I'm not just talking about people who are liberal in their theology, but actually some evangelicals now. Um, they don't believe that Ephesians was written by Paul, but by someone who was posing as him because they revered him and they wanted to build up the fame of Paul. But we saw that the early church, including the Apostle Paul, uh, did not like pseudonymous letters. They refer rejected pseudonymity, meaning the person's posing as somebody else out of reverence for them. And uh, we see that most, a lot of people today, like in First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles, the majority of evangelical conservative Bible scholarship think that those books are pseudonymous, which I find fascinating. And and then, uh, and uh, when I say that, like in astonishment, uh, but Ephesians also has become called into question. And uh, even though the fact Paul puts his name to it, 
And then Paul, you know, in, in Colossians, and especially in 2 Thessalonians, Galatians, uh, he does not like pseudonymous letters. In fact, he was in 2 Thessalonians, as he pointed out, he put his, his own authenticating mark at the end of that 2 Thessalonians because, as you remember, in 2 Thessalonians 2, he was, somebody was saying that the day of the Lord was taking place and their day and age, and it wasn't. And Paul said, I don't care if it's somebody sending uh, from a spirit or some kind of a letter allegedly from us, you're to reject it. It's not from us. So that's why he puts his authenticating mark at the end of 2 Thessalonians because of that. Why He's afraid of forgeries, people saying that they're him when they're not whether it's for good intentions or bad intentions. In fact, Tertullian, as we pointed out, in his on baptism, uh, his work on baptism, and he uh, said reported that somebody was posing as Paul, wrote a letter posing as Paul, and uh, he, out of reverence for Paul, tried to increase his fame, and the church excommunicated this pastor. So the church has never accepted pseudonymity. Yet it's astonishing to me that modern scholars today, even evangelical modern scholars, continue to... Uh, to uh, foist this upon us. I think it's modern arrogance, quite frankly. It's in everything. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, for 2,000 years, so the church, because they're in the past and they're ancient people compared to us, we're moderns and we're so much smarter than they were. That's, the, it's the modern arrogance. And you, you see, that's like with the, when you argue with people with sports. You know, like I always have this conversation with people about basketball, like, you know, with Will Chamberlain. Like, people say, Michael Jordan, the greatest player. And I said, no, Will Chamberlain was the, the, the best all-around player. I mean, you want to go by winning, Bill Russell was the greatest of all time because he won more championships than uh, Wilt. But if you want to go one-on-one -on -one, as far as a, a player, Bill and, and Wilt, Wilt would beat him every time. And he has all the records. Nobody's even close to him. He has 50 points a game. So the, I always think these modern guys, oh, they like, said, he played against, you know, plumbers and all that. So they like, really? Did, have you seen the videos of this guy? Have you heard the guys who played against them? Russell was not a, a plumber. <laughs> Russell was a pretty good player, you know? And uh, so, again, it's the modern arrogance, you know, the modern people, we think, you know, look back at the people, and even in our culture, you know, look back to the 40s and 50s, and we think they were uh, inferior to us, you know. Uh, but you ever hear the story, you hear the saying, you stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, there you go. But uh, again, this, this translates even into biblical uh, scholarship, where they're, they're, the modern view of like pseudonymity with the, the pastoral letters in Ephesians is predominant, even in conservative evangelical scholarship, biblical scholarship. Whereas for 2000, you know, if all the way up into, and until the 19th century, nobody called into question the Pauline authorship of Ephesians or the pastoral epistles for that matter. Yet, you know, you got mod guys who just, you know, I always like, you know, like, you know, I'm not saying the, uh, the early church fathers and the past people in the church always got it right. They didn't. A lot of times they got it wrong. We know that. But a lot of things they got right, you know. And, uh, especially when it comes to objective things like, you know, they, the people in the early church believed that Paul wrote those, those letters in the, the, the letters that bear his name. Even Hebrews, they think, as we pointed out. So that we're going to look at the, the, we're going to note the recipients of this letter. Who is Paul writing to? Now you might say, oh, this is easy because the text says uh, uh, um, that uh, he's writing to believers in Ephesus. Look at, uh, look at, uh, we'll look at several different translations. Uh, the Net Bible. Look at Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. <clears throat> Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus. Okay, you say, oh, Bill, what's the problem there? Well, hang on. 
I noticed it briefly a few moments ago. Uh, so it's a from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus. And if you have the net Bible, you might want to click on that note that they give you. The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, the Fa our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV, they say Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus. The faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the ESV, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this phrase, in Ephesus, is the issue here. And uh, in the Greek, here it is. In fact, this is the Nestle Island Alan text um, that most scholars use, the 28th version edition. And it says, in Ephesus. Okay, but it has it in brackets because uh, there's a lot of manuscripts that don't have it. Like the Net Bible says, um, the, the earliest and most important manuscripts omit this phrase, an FSO, okay, in Ephesus. And uh, so that doesn't mean he wasn't writing to the Ephesians. It just, it creates a problem here as far as, okay, what's going on here, all right? So as we noted in our introduction, the epistle to the Ephesians appears to be a circular letter in the sense that it was intended to be read not only by the Christian community in the city of Ephesus, but also by the many house churches throughout the Roman province of Asia, which is now called Turkey. So what I'm saying is, that preposition phrase in Ephesus, in Epheso in the Greek, is uh, is 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 found not found in a lot of the best and earliest manuscripts, but that doesn't mean it wasn't found in any manuscripts. It was found in some manuscripts. So the fact that that's the case is interesting because that's it 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 leads it, it you could the, that it, one of the possibilities of why that took place and why there's some conjecture in the manuscript trend, 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 uh, uh, tradition. Uh, is uh, because it it's in a circular letter. I believe the reason why that is, the reason why it doesn't appear in some manuscripts, uh, it, many manuscripts, but in the best and the earliest it does, is because it was a circular letter, as I'll explain in a moment. So, if you look at my notes on the board, the epistle to the Ephesians appears to be a circular letter in the sense that it was intended to be read not only by the Christian community in the city of Ephesus, but also by the many house churches throughout the Roman province of Asia, which is now called Turkey. If you look at my map on the board, uh, here's Ephesus, here's, here's the uh, Aegean Sea, and uh, we have, let me get my pen going here, here's Ephesus right here. Okay, I believe, you know, you hear this, you read this in Revelation 2 and 3, John you know, the Lord uh, has John write to the seven churches in Ephesus. So that was Pergamum, Thyatira, I'm circling these on the board for those who are listening to the podcast, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Smyrna in Ephesus. I believe he's writing every single one of them and many others. Laodicea, Colossae, which is adjacent to Laodicea, right down the road from Ephesus. I believe he was writing to, for this whole area, the Roman province of Asia, which is now known Turkey. I believe... The Ephesians epistle was a circular letter, just like 1 John was a circular letter, written to the same group of people. John wrote his at the end of the first century. Paul's writing his uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in, 60, in 61, 62 AD in the first century. So uh, keep this in mind. So uh, as we continue, uh, go for, for the, forward in our notes. Let me just get rid of this pen here for a second. So as we noted previously, we would expect that Paul's Lengthy stay in Ephesus would prompt him to send personal greetings in this epistle, but this is not the case. However, this absence would be understandable if the letter is a circulatory letter intended for all the various house churches in the Roman province 
of Asia. So as I pointed out in the previous classes, uh, Paul doesn't give any, extend any personal greetings to people. Uh, you would expect him to, that to be the case because he spent three years in, in, uh, in Ephesus. Uh, we saw that in the first hour of this introduction. Uh, we read uh, Acts, it was eight, the very end of that chapter, Acts 19. Uh, and, and that Acts 19 gives us the account of Paul's stay in Ephesus. And you compare that with Acts, was it 20, verse 31, he, in that chapter, he stayed there for three years. So you would expect him, when he writes this letter, if it's intended for the Ephesians, Christian community, why doesn't he send personal greetings to some people there? But he doesn't. And that's significant people. And uh, a careful interpreter will say, why is this the case? You know, and why is it? And now you might say, well, Pastor Bill, it doesn't really matter. Yet, you no, know, it, it, it does matter, you know, because we're trying to interpret this book correctly. And, you know, the more we have things right, if I, you know, historically, the, the better off we're going to be, you know. But So I, I think it definitely, of course, it's important to understand who he's writing to. I mean, is he talking to just the Ephesians or is he talking to a lot of other, mo, 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 a whole bunch of people? So we want to get the text correctly, right? And then we can talk about application, like I always say. So traditionally, people, traditionally, this letter has been identified as having been sent to the church at Ephesus. That's the tradition, and you can't reject that. You, you got to take that, uh, I should say, you can't, um, you can't push that to the side. You got to take that into account when you look at this particular epistle. So the problem with this is that the prepositional phrase NFSO in Ephesus and Ephesians 1 1 is not found in the oldest and best manuscripts, is the Nestle Island, which is the text that everybody and you know, biblical scholarship uses this text. In fact, uh, this is the Nestle Alan 28 version. Let me see. There's another one. Uh, let's see if I can get that. Oh. Uh, I know what I'll do. Just give me a second here. Oh, let's see. Oh, here we go. All right. Let's see. Text comparison. All right. Let me just show you something here. All right. All right, so here's like the UBS-5. There's another one, okay? UBS-5. They have, let's see what they have here. See, they have it in brackets too, okay? And that's another text that people use, scholars use. And uh, let me see if I can get you another one here. Um, let's see, who else do we use? You could use, well, there's the SBL, Greek New Testament text. There's another one that scholars use today and FSO, it's in brackets. So you can see these major Greek uh, Greek um, uh, publications, you know, Nestle Alain, United Bible Studies, fifth edition, they all, and the SBL, they all, which scholars use, they all use, have this prepositional phrase in brackets. And as I said before, the Net Bible, which is great for their notes, and I'm not gonna read the whole note, they say at the beginning of this note for this particular prepositional phrase, it says the earliest and most important manuscripts omit this particular 
phrase, prepositional phrase in the Greek, and FSO, which is, and they give you the, the, uh, the manuscripts that don't have it or do have it, okay? And uh, so we see traditionally, again, this letter, the Ephesian letter, has been identified as having been sent to the church at Ephesus. Now the problem, again, with this is that the prepositional phrase and FSO, and FSO, and Ephesus is the way it's translated in, in Ephesians 1.1, is not found in the oldest and best manuscripts. Further complicating this issue is that Martian said that the letter was sent to the Laodiceans and that Paul refers to Paul refers to it in Colossians 4.16. So if you look at Colossians 4.16, we did this book. After you've read this letter, have it read to the church at Laodicea and in turn, read the letter from Laodicea, okay, as well. And that Bible has a note for Laodicea. This letter is otherwise unknown, but some have suggested that it is the letter known today as Ephesians. So that's, Mar and they get that because of Martian, who had some of the earliest, had one of the earliest lists of books that are found in the New Testament. Uh, in the first several centuries of the church, which is, is significant for canonicity studies, uh, he mentions at Laodicean, uh, the Laodicean letter in Colossians 4.16 is actually Ephesians. Furthermore, we see that the author of this particular work, Ephesians, does not demonstrate that he has an intimate knowledge of the recipients, which we would expect if Paul was the author, as I said before, since he spent three years with them, according to Acts chapter 19 and 20. However, Ephesians must be a circular letter sent to the various churches throughout the Roman province of Asia, not only because of the lack of personal names, which would you would expect, if this was a circular letter, you would not expect him to say, address, have personal uh, greetings to people, okay? If it's for more than one church. If it's just for one church, like Corinth or Philippi, you would expect personal greetings. But if it's a circular letter intended for many churches, you won't, you're not going to see that. And so that, again, Ephesians must be a circular letter. For, 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 that's for one reason, because there's no personal greetings. Uh, there's a lack of personal names in that letter. Also, it, we know it's authentic in the meaning that Paul wrote this. So Ephesians must be circular, sent to the various churches throughout the Roman province of Asia, not only because of the lack of personal names and that it's authentic, Pauline, but also because of the textual uncertainty regarding this prepositional phrase and Epheso, Epheso, in Ephesus, and that we see in Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. So this problem, all of this problem, is this prepositional phrase not being in, in the best and most ancient manuscripts, but in others, that problem is resolved if we understand that the letter was circular. So therefore, we can't be dogmatic, of course, but a very possible scenario would be that Paul sent Tychicus with not only Colossians, but also what we know today as the Ephesian epistle. Now, what the scenario I'm going to give to you is, and I have it quoted in, in this particular introduction to Ephesians. You'll see it on the website eventually. In the, uh, but Dan Wallace, Dr. Dan Wallace, is a professor of Greek New Testament out in, at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's uh, the Center for New Testament Manuscripts. He makes digital copies of various ancient manuscripts of the New Testament, copies of it and uh, digitizes them because they're getting old and eventually they won't be with us anymore. So he's doing a great work there. He's, he has his, uh, his Greek grammar is in every seminary in America and around the world. Uh, I, it's one of those books that has tr profoundly helped me understand the New Testament and uh, that Greek grammar, intermediate Greek grammar that he has. And so when he talks, I, you know, people listen. He knows what he's talking about. He's a, one of the great, he's one of the giants as far as I'm concerned, my generation. Anyways, 
and he can't be that bad a guy because he, I guess, is in his wedding anniversary. Uh, him and his wife, they, he said that the, they had uh, When I'm 64 as one of the songs. I was like, hey, he's a, he, he likes the Beatles. I like the Beatles. He can't be a bad guy after all because I'm a Beatle fan. So anyways, we can't be... So Wallace, I get this possible scenario. It's actually a scenario that Wallace had come up with and pretty close to what he has. But I get, I, I, I want to give credit where credit is due. So I give you... I quote him extensively and others, other scholars too with regards to this issue, both for and against this scenario. So, uh, the, the, we can't be dogmatic again, but a very possible scenario would be that Paul sent Tychicus with not only Colossians, but also what we know today as the Ephesian epistle, and he sent it from Rome. The first stop with the Ephesian epistle was Ephesus. And, from, and that's why we have a lot of manuscripts that have this prepositional phrase in it. So the first stop, I believe, was the Ephesian epistle went to was Ephesus. And from there it was sent to Laodicea, which accounts for this letter appearing in Martian's list as the epistle to the Laodicean. So there was manuscripts we don't have now that have uh, it going to the Laodicean church. And from Laodicea, a copy of Ephesians would then be brought to Colossae. So if you look at the map and get my pen going here again, we see that here it is in Ephesus. They go down the road. Laodicea is the first stop. Okay. And that's where one copy of this letter from that written from Ephesus, you, a lot of manuscripts have in Ephesus in in the manuscript tradition. In the manuscript tradition, there's an Ephesus is in there in Ephesus, and then it went down to Laodicea. So that's why Martian he saw manuscripts that said what we know today as Ephesians as being the epistle to Laodiceans, and then from there it went to Colossae. All right, so that's that's what the that's the possible scenario. A very good scenario. Now, the reason why the Ephesian epistle did not appear in some of the best and oldest manuscripts is that this letter was, again, meant for the various churches in the Roman province of Asia. So, um, in Ephesus, that pre prepositional phrase in the Greek, and Epheso, is not found. And the reason why, one of the big reasons why, is because it was a circular letter. It wasn't intended just for Ephesus. So, thus, the place in which the name Ephesus appeared was left blank for the names of these churches. So if you look at the, the Nestle Alan text, see this where it has brackets here, and I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting it for you here, this prepositional phrase in the Greek, here it is, and Epheso, and Ephesus. That would be left blank where the word Epheso, where the Ephesian word is supposed to be, they would put Laodicea in there, or they would put uh, another copy would go to Colossae, and they would have a preposition, that would be, they'd fill in the name Colossae there, Pergamum, Sardis, Thyatira, whatever the city was, they would replace it with that name, same of that city in the place where in Ephesus is. Okay? That's what they did. So, of course, the churches located in Ephesus would have made the most copies of this letter, and that's why we have that we have it come down today as being from Ephesus uh, to the Ephesians, because a lot of church, that was the first place where they made copies of this particular letter. And so, of course, the churches located in Ephesus would have been made the most copies of this letter because, again, Paul's base of operations was in this city for nearly three years. Therefore, most of the surviving copies have the phrase and FSO in Ephesus and Ephesians 1.1. And the city of Ephesus, so that's so that's so we can let's stop before we talk about Ephesus now and the city. Um, so we see that it was a circular letter. 
that uh, this particular letter. It was intended for more than just the Ephesian Christian community. One of the reasons we know that is there's no personal greetings and uh, no personal greetings if it was, you know, if, if uh, which we would expect if it was, the letter was intended for more than one church. If it was intended for one church like Philippi, you're going to see personal greetings and you do when you look at Paul's epistle to the Philippians. But the fact that this doesn't have any personal greetings you know, and when he was there for three years, Paul, in Ephesus, according to Acts 19 and 20, is is very significant. That would tell us that this is a circular letter intended for more than one church and further substantiate, substantiate that, substantiating that, is supporting that, is this prepositional phrase in Ephesus, it's not found in the oldest and, uh, and most reliable uh, manuscripts that we have. Again, that, that note in the Net Bible, so you can see it, the earliest, the most important manuscripts omit this prepositional phrase in Ephesus. And uh, so we see this would tell us the fact that this is not, this prepositional phrase is not found in a lot of manuscripts, the oldest and the best that we have, more ancient, tells us this again, not that he didn't ever, this letter wasn't intended for Ephesus. It was, but more than just Ephesus. So this is another, the fact that this prepositional phrase is not found and oldest and best manuscripts tells us this too is a, this would indicate it's a circular letter. That's why we have this this uh, kind of problem in the manuscript tradition where it's in a lot of manuscripts, good ones, but not in a lot of others. Why? Well, we, it's a circular letter or encyclical letter, some call it, meaning that the letter Ephesians was written to more uh, than uh, one Christian community in the Roman province of Asia, which I just pointed out to you these churches would be not just Ephesus he's writing to with this letter, which we know is Ephesians, but Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Heriopolis, Laodicea, which was the first stop of this letter when he wrote it in Ephesus for, uh, for the Ephesians. Remember, Paul wrote this in Rome. <laughs> Paul wrote this in Rome. And so he sends this letter and the first stop is Ephesus because that was his base of operations for three years. From there, it went down the street to Laodicea and from there to Colossae and these other churches that I just showed you. So he wrote it from Rome, as we'll see. And we'll see this on this coming Tuesday. He wrote it from Rome and then it went down to Ephesus. So, uh, and, and Tychicus was the guy who would be bringing it. Let me see if I, oh, we can't sh show you where Rome is here. Oh, well. Um, anyway, so that's that's the, the, you know, so they went down, he's in Rome, and his wedding is appealed before Caesar, around six, between 60 and 62 AD, he writes this letter, which was intended for not just the Ephesian Christian community, the city of Ephesus, but, Colo you know, uh, Laodicea, Smyrna, uh, Thyatira, and that's uh, when we see that he, this letter is not having personal greetings, which we would expect, if it was written just for the Ephesian Christian community, the fact that it doesn't have any, you know, personal greetings tells us that it's a circular letter. And also, again, this prepositional phrase in Ephesus doesn't appear in the best and oldest manuscripts that we have. It, it appears in a lot of manuscripts, it does, but the best and oldest don't have it. And that, the reason why that is because it's a circular letter. That would, we would expect that kind of problem in the manuscript tradition if, if it was a circular letter, all right? Now, let's talk about the city of Ephesus. I get some cool pictures of the, of the city of Ephesus today in the ruins. The city of Ephesus, great, great city of the ancient world. Uh, the city of Ephesus was located 
on the western part of Turkey. And it was situated at the mouth of the Kaster River. So let me give you my map again. And let's look at this, this particular place. Here it is, Ephesus, right on the Aegean, Aegean Sea. Okay, here's the Aegean Sea. And so this is Turkey. This whole area, Roman province of Asia, is now known as Turkey. So Ephesus was in a, in a very interesting very interesting place, very interesting history. So it was located in the western part of Turkey, as I just pointed out to you on a map. It had been founded by colonists from Athens in the 11th century BC, which we could expect because Athens is right across the Aegean Sea from Ephesus. So that that's I can see we can see why that would happen. So they displaced. Uh, it was founded by colonists from Athens in the 11th century BC, and they displaced the original inhabitants and began a Greek civilization on the Ionian coast. And the strategic location of the city favored its growth and it became a military prize for both the naval states of Greece and those who dominated Asia Minor and thereafter the Lydians and the Persians. Alexander the Great, he received the homage of the Ephesian rulers in 334 BC and in 188 BC. The Romans took it from Antiochus the Great and then in turn gave it to the king of Pergamum. And the Romans got it back again and incorporated it into the province of Asia. Ephesus became the chief city of the Roman province of Asia. And it was home to one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis, or we could say Diana of the Ephesians. Remember we read in the first hour of this introduction, Paul's stay in uh, Ephesus and all the, the, the guys who were making uh, idols were ticked off at Paul because everybody was burning their idols and their business was going to pot because of Paul and the gospel telling people that you'd worship Jesus to the exclusion of the great Greek Roman pantheon of gods. <laughs> so there was a big riot and uh, they were, you know, the, the Temple of Artemis, Diana, Temple of Diana. They were, the, the Artemis, they, they call it the Temple of Artemis or you can call it the Temple of Diana. This was quite one of the seven wonders of the world. In fact, let me show you a picture some mock-ups. Let's see here. Let me just get it here again. Hold on a sec. All right. So here's a, here's a artist. Uh, this is a, a model reconstruction of the Temple of Artemis. Okay. That's what it looked like. An artist rendition from based on archaeological evidence and other things we've heard written about it. And uh, let's see, uh, let's see if I get some other... Yeah, here's another Temple of Artemis reconstruction for you. So it looks something like that, okay? So that was one of the seven, seven wonders of the world. Uh, there was a great marble street in Ephesus, and there was also the Odeon Theater, which served as the city uh, served the city as a council chamber. Uh, there's a, let me see if I can get a, a picture of a theater there. Here, I think I have one here. Let me just look at them. Okay. Okay, this is an archaeological restoration of the theater in Ephesus. This is where they, they had the riot because of Paul. But there's a, that's what the, here's the archaeological ruins in Ephesus of this theater. And that, that's pretty cool. I, I always wanted to go there. I, I, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, when I went, before I went, as well as I, for those of you who know, I was ordained at Grace Bible Church in Somerset, Massachusetts. And they were in Rehoboth for a while, but uh, early on. But, uh, you know, I was... I was actually saving money to go do a tour of, I was listening to Jay Vernon McGee on the radio. I was doing a lot of reading, read a lot of stuff out of people out of Dallas, like Wolverine and Pentecost and a whole bunch of people. So 
you know, and before I, I, I knew I needed a church, and before I ran into that church, uh, I was saving my money to go do a tour of, like with, um, what's his name? The Greek islands, and, you know, Paul, the cities, Paul went to like Ephesus, but it was also, what was his name? Um, he was a Jewish guy, Jew, Messianic Jew, his son's on there now. Um, oh gosh, it's going to kill me. I used to listen, watch late at night. So I was going to go on one of those tours of Israel and everything. And, um, so I was saving up my money, but, uh, and then that, um, Grace Bible Church showed up on the radar. And so I went there and I never went to the tour of Israel and, uh, and the uh, the Greek islands, you know, the, the cities of Paul went to and John. So just kind of interesting. One of these days, maybe I'll get to go. But um, so there's the theater. This is the theater, archaeological, archaeological restoration of the theater in Ephesus that I just mentioned to you. Now, with, an with Ephesus, it had an artificial harbor accessible to the largest ships and rivaling the harbor at Miletus, standing at the entrance of the valley, which reaches far into the interior of Asia Minor. And it connected. It was connected by highways with the chief cities of the province, Ephesus. And Ephesus was the most easily acceptable city, accessible city in Asia, both by land and sea. So the city of Ephesus, its location, therefore, favored its religious, political, and commercial development, and it presented a most advantageous field for the missionary labors of Paul. And I brought this point out in the past. Paul went to the big population centers, Corinth. Ephesus is no dummy. I'm gonna. How, how can I reach the most people with the uh, in church planning and getting the gospel to people? You go to the chief, the chief places, the, the chief population centers, and Ephesus was one of them. And so he, that's what he did. And uh, not that he didn't go to these other smaller cities. He did in towns. He did. But for instance, he never he never knew the Colossians, and the Colossians were down the road from him. But he never stopped the Colossi. Uh, Epaphras, who he trained and ordained. He evangelized over there and discipled the people that became Christians in Colossae, not Paul. They never saw Paul's faith face. So eventually Paul wanted to get to Rome, and he did, and he, but not the way he thought he was going to. You know, he was under house arrest. You know, he was appealed to Caesar, and he was under house arrest. So Paul went to the, a major population center, Rome. So that's what he did. And then he would take, send guys out like, you know, uh, Titus, send him off to Crete if he needed to, or Corinth or Timothy, you know, Epaphroditus went to the Philippians, Epaphras went to the Colossians and others. So he would use these other guys that he trained and he, as part of his uh, his church planning uh, group that he had and send those guys out to the other lo ge geographical locations that uh, had received the gospel and had churches and whatnot. So Ephesus was his, his chief operations in the, in, the, in the Roman province of Asia. So the city of Ephesus... It stood upon the, the sloping sides and at the base of two hills, Praian and Caresus, commanding a beautiful view. Its climate was exceptionally fine, and the soil of the valley was unusually fertile. A great library was located in the city, and of course, the great Agora marketplace. Let me see if I get you a picture of the library. I think I have back here. I think I passed it not too long ago. Let's see. Where do we have a library? Hey, look at this. This is a library, a Celsus Library in Ephesus. There it is. And this is the archaeological ruins of this library. And uh, so it had this fantastic libraries in it. And uh, it, it, this was the great library, as I just showed you a picture of. So carved into the great sidewalk, interestingly, carved into the great sidewalk leading to the building on the marble street is the mark of a bare foot 
in Ephesus. The ancient, it was the ancient sign of direction to a house of prostitution. It was a reminder that Ephesus was a port city with many visitors and sailors. And there was a stadium constructed during the reign of Nero there. The south of the stadium was the theater set in the side of a mountain, which was the scene of a riot when Paul was accused of ruining the businesses of the silversmiths in Ephesus, who made a substantial profit in relation to the worship of Artemis. That's Acts 19, 23, and 24 that we pointed out uh, on the first hour of this introduction. Let me give you a, a picture of that particular theater again, the archaeological ruins of this theater. So this was the, this is the archaeological restoration of the theater in Ephesus where they had the riot. Recorded in Acts 19, 23, and 24. There it is, right there for you. You can see a group down here in the, uh, in the picture. So uh, quite, quite a uh, beautiful place. So we see the Silversmiths Union. When we studied this uh, particular, you don't want to talk NT right there. <laughs> There's a Silversmiths Union in the city, which make, that was a picture of NT Wright. He's a Bible uh, scholar. And uh, I'm working off my Bible Logos program. That's what you're looking at. So the Silversmiths Union. In the city of Ephesus, which made quite a profit from making idols of the fertility goddess Artemis, were enraged at Paul, as we saw, and his teaching against worshiping idols. And the business community did not like Christian, Christian community because it cut into their profits. But the riot was dispersed by the town clerk, and he rebuked them for their, uh, their conduct. They're, they're not acting like uh, good citizens of the empire. Paul, he went to Macedonia from there, but returned at a later date. Asia. And the particular Ephesus was a fruitful field for evangelism. In three years, the entire region of Asia Minor heard the Christian message. And that's through the work of guys like Paul, Epaphras, um, Tychicus, guys like that. So the churches were founded in almost every city and town, large and small, in the Roman province of Asia. Ephesus was an ancient city when Paul arrived. It was around for a long time before he ever showed up. By the middle of the second century B.C., Settlers of Asiatic origin inhabited the site. And during the 11th century BC, as I said, Athenians arrived and gradually assimilated the older population. And after varying periods of inde independence and absorption into neighboring empires, Ephesus came into the Roman Empire, as I pointed out, in 133 BC as part of the Roman, Asia, uh, Roman province of Asia. Now, though suffering terribly during the civil wars of the first century BC, the Roman civil wars, Ephesus enjoyed great prosperity under Rome during the 1st and 2nd centuries AD, when the city must have had a population of about a half a million. So here, the Roman governor resided, and here Paul conducted the, the longest of his city's ministries, of, the, of his uh, various ministries, two years and nine months. A number of factors contributed to the prominence which Ephesus enjoyed. First was economics, situated at the mouth of the river Keister, uh, Caster, excuse me, Ephesus was the most favorable seaport in the city of Asia and the most important trade center west of Tarsus. So today, because of silting from the river, the ruins of the city lie in a swamp about five to seven miles inland. Another factor uh, leading to the prominence of Ephesus in Paul's day was size because Ephesus was the largest city in the province, having a population of a per perhaps 300,000 people, despite the fact that Pergamum was actually the capital of the province of Asia in Roman times when Paul lived. A third factor for the success of Ephesus was culture, because Ephesus contained a theater that seated an estimated 25,000 people. I showed you the archaeological ruins at that theater. 
Now, a main thoroughfare, some 100 feet wide, ran from the theater to the harbor. At each end of it, which stood an impressive gate, and its and this thoroughfare was flanked on each side by rows of columns 50 feet deep. And behind these columns were baths, gymnasiums, and impressive buildings. The fourth factor in the prominence, uh, leading to the prominence of, Ave, uh, of Ephesus in Paul's day. The fourth is that perhaps most significant reason for the prominence of Ephesus in Paul's day was religion. Since the Temple of Artemis, as we pointed out, located in her midst, uh, was located in her midst and was ranked as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world in Paul's day. As the twin sister of Apollo and the daughter of Zeus, Artemis was known variously as the moon goddess, the goddess of hunting, or the patroness of young girls. The temple at Ephesus housed the multi-breasted image of Artemis, which was reputed to have come from directly from Zeus. That's according to Acts 19.35. So the temple of Artemis in Paul's day was supported by 127 columns, each of them 197 feet high. So let's look at that artist's uh, depiction um, of the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana here. There is a, this is a, a reconstruction of it. Okay. And here's another one. I'll show you the other one right here. That's another model reconstruction of the temple of Artemis. All right. So the Ephesians, they took great pride in this grand edifice, this great building, um, this great temple. Uh, we saw that from the book of Acts in Acts 19. Now, during the Roman period, uh, they promoted the worship of Artemis by minting coins with the inscription, Diana of Ephesus. Now, as we noted in our introduc introduction, during his second missionary journey, which took place between 49 and 52 AD, Paul stopped at Ephesus. He was urged to stay by the Ephesians, but declined. And Aquila and Priscilla, as well as Timothy, continued the work of the Lord in Ephesus, according to Acts 18, 18 through 21, which we read in our first hour of this introduction. And, and while and they went there, Priscilla, Aquila, and uh, Timothy, while Paul uh, went to Antioch. However, Paul did return to Ephesus during his third missionary journey, as recorded in Acts 19, and he stayed there for three years, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 31. So, we see here that uh, the recipients of this letter, we know who the author is, without a doubt it's Paul. Uh, we know it was a, this book was Ephesian book, epistle of Paul's, was um, accepted right from the beginning by the church's canonical, meaning it was inspired by God. They recognized that it was inspired by God. No, no problem with that at all at all and it was never called into question until the 19th century uh, then we have uh, the fact that the recipients of this letter uh, were not just the Ephesian Christian community but the various Christian communities that were around the Roman in the in the Roman province of Asia and I pointed out these um, uh, seven of which are in Revelation 2 and 3 you know John was right the Lord was, had John write to those churches in the Roman province of Asia those are the churches he John wrote to in first John which was a circular letter those are the churches he was writing to when he wrote Ephesians. We know that it's a circular letter intended for those various churches throughout the Roman province of Asia because one, there's no personal greetings, which you would expect if Paul was there for three years, which he was, but yet you don't see any personal greetings in, the, in this epistle. And another reason why contributing to the fact that this is a circular letter supporting my interpretation is this, that prepositional phrase, NFSO, in Ephesus, Ephesus in Ephesians 1.1 1, 1, 
is not found in, in most, the oldest and best manuscripts that we have. They are, it is found in many manuscripts, but not the most, in, uh, the, as, again, as with the Net Bible, to quote them directly, the earliest and most important. But they're in a lot of manuscripts, though, that prepositional phrase. That tells us that this, this particular uh, letter was intended for not just the Ephesian church, but all these other churches throughout the Roman province of Asia. So for the, the, the two big reasons. So, it, you know, Paul writes from Rome and he sends it, the first thing he sends it to is Ephesus. So he, there's one, they got a copy. Another group got a, a, had their name filled in as Laodicea, okay, or Colossae or Thyatira, and on they went, you know. So it started off in the first, you know, Paul's letter first went to Ephesus. Why? Because that was his base of operations there. And from there they made copies and they were sent to these various churches. So that's why Martian, uh, he, he has list the Laodicean letter as being the Ephesian letter because the contents matched the, the, where it says the letter to the Ephesians, it matches what he saw, a copy of manuscript, what he saw, what said in Laodicea, the contents was exact same. So, he, so therefore that's why, um, so that's, so that tells you that, this particular letter was intended for not just the Ephesian Christian community, but for others like the Laodicean church and Colossae and Pergamum and Thyatira, all these other churches. So it was a circular letter. So that's why when we go through this letter, you'll hear me saying to the recipients of the Ephesian epistle, you won't tell me, you won't hear me say to the Ephesian, okay, it, because it's intended to, to not just them, but a lot of these other Christian communities that were scattered throughout the Roman province of Asia. So we're going to, uh, uh, next, uh, the next uh, lesson we're going to do with regards to this introduction to Ephesians, uh, we're going to be looking at um, the place of origin, which we touched upon today, which is uh, Rome, and then the date of this letter, which is tied to it, because it's connected to Paul's Roman imprisonment, first Roman imprisonment, and the literary genre, which is an epistle, as we'll say. And then after that, next Thursday, we'll be doing um, the form and structure of the epistle. And then next Saturday, we'll note the purpose and major themes of the Ephesian epistle. And then uh, the following Tuesday and Thursday after that, February 7th and February 9th, we'll be looking at uh, various uh, more themes in, in the Ephesian epistle. And then the last hour, we'll be studying the, the, the grace and peace that is mentioned in Ephesians 1 2. We'll be talking about that. And uh, in this particular introduction, before going to our verse by verse study of each of the uh, of this that are in the uh, verse by verse study of the Ephesian epistle. All right, so let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining me, Heavenly Father. We just thank you for this time to study your Word. We pray this lesson would help us in, in the body of Christ in understanding and interpreting this book, and thus leading to a proper application uh, of what we're being taught by the Holy Spirit in this epistle. So I just pray, Father, be a blessing to the church. Uh, to uh, the, for those who are listening live, watching live, or at a later date through the recordings. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.